If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, uh, the 6th chapter, verse 11 through 18. Book of Ephesians, 6th chapter, verse 11 through 18. I believe this week, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say, this is going to be the last installment on the Armor of God series. I think we're in our ninth, maybe 10th week um, as Nick said early, earlier, Tony will be back next week, and I'm not sure if he'll start a, a series next week or it'll be the week after, but he'll take us into a series that'll probably go throughout the duration of the rest of the summer. Uh, last week, I spoke on the first part of verse 18 in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 6, and tonight we're going to focus our attention on the last half of that verse, but for context, context we'll start reading in verse 11. Everybody there, say Amen. All right, here we go. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for loving us, God. Lord, we thank you for the cross, God. We thank you for the richness of grace and mercy in our life, God. Lord, we thank you that your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, God. We ask tonight, God, that you would bring us wisdom, you would bring us understanding, You would bring us revelation, God, that you would be close to us tonight, Lord. You would speak to us through your words, not with wise and persuasive words, God, but with power and authority, God. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this coming August, Nathan Spires and I, who is our sound man tonight, wave your hand, Nathan. We have the, yeah, go ahead, give him a round of applause. There we go. (laughs) He's on the worship team, too. We have the privilege of going to Peru and Brazil uh, this coming August with Modern Day, the missions agency uh, that we both work for. When my feet step down in Brazil, when my feet step down in Brazil, it will be the 17th different nation that I've had the opportunity, that I've had the privilege of going and ministering in. And uh, looking back on that this week, I was just uh, so grateful um, for the faithfulness of the Lord there. Um, I've seen a lot of things in the nations that I've been to. I've been to the poorest of the poor places spanning the globe. But the most challenging, the most destitute, the most demonic place that I have ever been to in my life was in the city of Los Angeles. And the place was called Skid Row. It's called Skid Row. Um, every, for, from 2006 to 2008, I would take a team of young, adult, young adults and we would go to Los Angeles and uh, we would go to serve at this place called the Los Angeles Dream Center. Anybody ever heard of it? 
Los Angeles Dream Center. It's actually where the old L.A. County Hospital. Uh, it's been converted into this massive ministry complex where I, I believe almost a hundred different um, outreaches and ministry are based out of this complex. I mean, it is massive, and it's right um, in the middle of, of downtown um, Los Angeles. Um, and so when we, I would take this team... And uh, when we would get there, um, we would always sign up for the Skid Row Outreach. I'm telling you, just an amazing opportunity to be a part of it. So we would get there, we would sign up for, the, for this outreach. And when I say Skid Row, if you could imagine with me a city block and on both sides of the street lined with homeless people, Drug users, drug pushers, criminals, gangbangers, prostitutes, and all sorts of other characters. I'm telling you, it's like a scene right out of a movie. It is crazy. I think when we were down there, and we were down there three, three years in a row, there, there's somewhere between 500 and 1,000 just lining the streets. It's one of the wildest scenes I've, I've ever been a part of. The place is really, really rough. Um, I've never seen anything like it. I've also never feared for my life like when I was there, and I've never prayed harder than the times when I was on Skid Row. I remember we would pull up in our van, and you have to pull up really slowly in our van. And within a matter, matter of minutes, um, I saw drug deals going down. I saw uh, men and women shooting up with needles in places I can't mention here. I saw prostitutes, all kinds of different things. And this is just when we were pulling up in the van in a uh, five or ten minute um, time frame. When we would pull up, we would stop at one of the, um, the outreach houses down there at Skid Row. And as soon as we stopped, there were people would be gathering around us. They'd be cussing at us, heckling us. And then, of course, there would be the people at, at the, the guest house, the ministry house. They would be welcoming, welcoming, welcoming us in. Um, when we would get there, uh, we would uh, set up our food lines. And then um, we'd set up our food lines. And then we'd be, begin to go out and, and talk with the people on the streets and try to minister to them uh, the very, very best that we could. Those trips to Skid Row, maybe more than any nation that I've ever been to, has, has changed my life. Uh, that imagery I will never forget. I share that story with you tonight because what the Bible teaches us in verse 18 are principles that remind me of when I was down at Skid Row. Principles that if not applied could literally mean life or death. And not just in Skid Row, but in everyday life as well. And so what I've done tonight is I've titled this message, How to Stay Alive and Thrive. I don't typically title my messages or bring it up, but I thought it was fitting for this message. How to Stay Alive and Thrive. Because what it seems like here, guys, is um, in this sixth chapter of Ephesians, uh, Paul is walking us through the armor of God. And so he's outfitting us from head to toe with the armor of God. And then he gets into verse 18, and the first part of it is dedicated to prayer which I spoke about last week, and if you'd like to go back and listen to that, you can check out our podcast um, online. And so he's dedicated the first part of verse 18 to prayer, and then the last part of it, it seems like Paul's saying, okay, you've got the armor of God on, you, you've been deepened in prayer through the first, the first part of this verse, and then here's the, the, the last three nuggets I want to give you to win the daily battle against the enemy. The last three principles I want to show you for you to not just 
stay alive, but for you to thrive. How many of you want to thrive? You don't just want to stay alive, you want to thrive. That's all of us in here. We're in the right place. So these are the three principles. I want to start with number one. You have to be on guard at every moment. You've got to be on guard at every moment. We must be watchful, alert, aware, awake, vigilant, attentive, and on our toes at all times in our walk of faith. Listen, guys, the Bible talks about the enemy as a worthy adversary, a worthy opponent. He also compares the enemy to a roaring lion. And we know that roaring lion goes around seeking who it can devour. And we know that when it comes to the enemy, he comes to still kill and destroy. Shout out to you there, Stella, and her SCAD ministry. I might do another shout out later. (laughs) We know this about the enemy. And so, man, it is so important that we be on guard at every moment. When I was 19, I had the privilege of spending a summer in Alaska with um, one of my good friends, Kenny Rigsby, who I think many of you know in here. Uh, so we, we were there the whole summer. We were based out of Juneau, Alaska. And pretty much all we did was we worked about 50, 60 hours a week and, um, at a tourist shop. And then on our days off, we would camp and hike and fish, enjoy being in Alaska, right? And so we get to the end of the summer, and I think there's two weeks left. We stop working, and we decide to do the Chilkoot Trail which goes from Skagway, Alaska, into, I believe, Bennett, British Columbia. It's about a 50-mile trail. And what that trail encompasses is, um, is the old 1898 Klondike Gold Rush. And so it's a wonderful trail to go on. Uh, you have to bring everything on your backpack, and uh, you know, there's nowhere to stop and get anything else. So it was a fun time. So we're about two or three days in on the trail, and we're coming into a campsite one evening, and I think there's 10 or 12 other people who are at the campsite along with us. And a game warden comes in, and he says, hey, I just want to let all of you know that um, there is typically a bear that comes into this camp And he comes in usually somewhere between 8 to 10.30 in the morning. And what the bear does is uh, he's not typically um, looking to bother humans, but he's wanting to see if the humans leave anything behind, right? Okay. And so keep in mind, Kenny and I are 19. We're out in the wilderness in Alaska. And so we hear all of this. And, you know, 19-year-old guys are pumped with a lot of testosterone and everything. Like, oh, you know. Well, that's probably true, but whatever, you know. And so we go to sleep that night, and uh, I'm the first one to wake up, and I roll over and, and uh, get all the gunk out of my eyes, and I look down at my watch, and I think it's 8.30, 8.45. And, and so I'm already a little bit anxious inside, and so I unzip the tent, and I look out, and all of the campers are gone. I mean, they're just gone. It's gone. Yeah, of course, they heeded the advice. They got out of there, you know. And so immediately I shoved Kenny. I'm like, Kenny, dude, we got to go. And if you know Kenny Rigsby, he doesn't like to wake up early. He doesn't like to wake up abruptly. It's like, dude, we got to go. And so, man, we're putting all this together. It's like, man, there's a bear that's going to be coming down to this camp. We get it all together. We throw it on our, on our back. And I didn't have time to put my contacts in, so I had glasses on. And so we start out on the trail. And we're walking along, and really at this point, we're not thinking anything of it because we've gone maybe three quarters of a mile to a mile. But we reach this place where we're going up the mountain where you kind of have to climb up rocks. And it's not like technically climbing with ropes and stuff, but, you know, you've got to use some muscle and climb up. And then it flattens out, and then you've got to go up a little more, and it flattens out. Well, I was um, in front of Kenny, and I was going up to the, um, uh, climbing up the rocks, and I get to the top of this one section, and I look up. 
And from me to probably Jason Hanna there, about 15, 17 yards, this bear is just staring me right in the face. And immediately inside, I thought, dang it, Marvin. It's like, you did not heed the advice. You were so stupid. What are you doing? You know, and it's like, I just I thought about that game warning. Why are we saying? He's like, man, you got to get out of camp. And I was just like, man, I didn't get out of camp. So this bear's looking at me. I'm looking at it. And I turn slowly to Kenny because I know not to make any aggressive movements towards the bear. And I'm like, Kenny, there's a bear. And Kenny's walking along. He looks at me. He's like, dude, there's a bear. And he's walking up to my backpack pretty aggressively because he wants to get the camera out. And if you know Kenny, you know why. Because he wants to film this whole thing. And so he's coming up to me trying to get all this stuff out. And I'm like, dude, get off me, man. We're not doing that. And it's like, just look at him. And so we both just look up and we stop and we look at the bear. And it's looking at us, and it seems like it's like an hour, you know. Uh, but it's not. It was probably like seven seconds. So eventually the bear um, goes off into the brush um, on the side of the trail. And so that makes it really eerie because then we can't see him. We don't know where he is. And so we wait, and we wait. And about five minutes later or so, he comes back down probably about 75 yards below us. And he walks out of the brush, down onto the trail, and he's going right back down into the camp. And so it's just like, oh my goodness, you know, it's like, Kenny, what were we doing? We were so stupid. We did not heed advice. We were not on guard, man. We were not aware. We were sloppy. We were asleep. My goodness, why did we do that? Something that is now is a cool encounter, but could have been, could have been tragic, you know, but I'm a lot faster than Kenny, so I would have got away. So you just mark that down and tell Kenny to listen to this podcast. (laughs) He could have had all the pictures he wanted. I would have been gone. <laughs> oh, man. So what I want to do tonight, we're talking about being on guard at every moment. I want to give us four times of the day that the enemy seems to attack the most. And then I want to give us three tactics that the enemy seems to use consistently in people's lives. Several months back, I was uh, listening to a podcast by Jimmy Evans, pastor in in, uh, Trinity Church in Amarillo. And um, he was talking about how there's four major times in a day that the enemy seems um, to attack us. And so he told me those four, and I was like, you know, I I can see that, but I'm going to put it to the test. I'm going to kind of analyze it over the next days and weeks. Sure enough, I did. And it's like, man, Jimmy Evans, that dude knows what he's talking about because he was spot on with what he was saying. So I I thought I would share those four with you tonight. And we'll go through them pretty quickly. Uh, So the first one is when you wake up in the morning. The second one is when you're going to bed. The third one is when your mind is idle. And the fourth one is when you're traveling. I can see some of you. It's like, man, I I can agree, you know, with that. I I bear witness with what he's saying there. I don't have time to get into all of them, but I do want to talk about for just a minute when we wake up in the morning. Because I know that the enemy wants nothing more in our lives than to derail our day from the very beginning. It only makes sense, right? It only makes sense. He wants to derail our day from the very beginning. He wants to switch the buttons and put us in moods and attitudes that can really um, uh, set the course for the rest of the day. And he wants to ruin the rest of the day. That's his goal each and every day. Um, But what's interesting is we know um, another principle from the Lord in the Bible is the first fruits principle. 
the first fruits of what we give unto the Lord, the first fruits of giving him our best at the beginning of each day, at the beginning of each harvest, at the beginning of lots of different times. So what I want to do is I just want to encourage you tonight um, as um, in the days and weeks that come and as you look at those four different times where the enemy attacks, to really focus on giving the first fruits of your day to the Lord. Give your first fruits of the day to the Lord. It might look like five minutes just sitting by the edge of your bed, committing yourself, committing your family to the Lord. It might look like scripture reading. It might look like family devotion. I don't know what it's going to look like for you. You can determine and set that. But let me strongly encourage you, give the first fruits of your day each and every day to the Lord. That way the enemy cannot derail from the beginning. I know many times that I have not exercised this principle. I've been derailed. And um, I'm telling you, um, it can be costly, okay? It can be costly and it can lead to a day when we're not on guard, we're not alert, we're not awake, and we're not on our toes. So just make note of that. When you wake up, give the first fruits of who you are to the Lord. Give him your very best. Isn't he worthy? Isn't he worthy of our very best every day? Give him our very best. Give him our, uh, the first fruits of what we have. So four times a day when he attacks, when you wake up, when you go to bed, when your mind is idle and when you're traveling. And that includes not just long trips, but just traveling around. You know how um, our minds can roam uh, when we travel and how the enemy can, can take us out there. Um, so we know when he, does, when he does attack us, but how does he do it? How does the enemy attack us? What tactics does he use um, to get to us, uh, to bring about um, death and destruction in our life? And I will suggest to you tonight that there are three main ones that he uses. If you would, turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 4. The book of Luke chapter 4. And we're going to go through 1 through 13. And we're going to kind of walk through Jesus in the wilderness and just examine some of the tactics that the enemy tried to get over on Jesus and the way he did it. And, of course, if he's going to bring his A game at any time, he's going to bring it against Jesus, right? And, of course, he's going to bring the same thing against us as well. So we'll read through it here, and I'll bring up the points as we go. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, and you could interpret that. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's got the armor of God on. He's ready to go. Returned from Jordan. And what was he returning from? He was returning from a spiritual high, baptizing. I mean, this is a good place for Jesus. And let's just remind you about Jesus. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Okay, so you've got to kind of flip the switch here. Okay, he's fully God, but he's fully man. susceptible to all of the temptations that we were, right? Okay, so he's, he's walking in here, and it, and it says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Verse 2, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they, when it, they had ended, he was hungry. I'm sure he was. Uh, verse 3, and the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The first tactic I want to suggest that the enemy uses against us like he did against Jesus here is he will always come to you when you are weak and where you are weak. He will always come to you when you are weak and where you are weak. And we see what we just read there that was both of those are valid with where Jesus was right there. Not eaten for 40 days He was hungry, the Bible says. And what does the enemy come with first? The temptation 
to fulfill himself on something that wasn't needed. And And the Lord says, I don't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He comes to you when you're weak and where you're weak. Picking up in verse 5 here. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, (laughs) showed him all the kingdoms of, of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this had been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Verse 7, Therefore, if you worship before me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The second tactic that I would suggest to you that he uses is that he will make you question your identity of who you are in the Lord. He will make you question your identity of who you are in the Lord. Look at what he's doing here. It's almost comical. It's like he's going to take him up on a high mountain, show him the kingdoms of the world. Oh yeah, devil, I created all of this stuff. I created what you're showing me here. And the devil said, all this authority I will give to you. What authority? Authority that was given by my father. I know everything about authority and their glory. Jesus said, this glory is for me. This isn't for you. This isn't something that comes from you. This is something that comes from me through the father for me in the end. You can't give it to me right now. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, Jesus knew. No one's going to worship you. I'm not going to worship before you. People are going to bow down. Every knee will bow down to me. Every tongue will confess that I'm Lord. People are going to worship me. Doesn't mean that the enemy doesn't bring his very best and attack in that area, though. He will make you question your identity of who you are in the Lord. Many of us know this to be true. We've battled through a lot of these insecurities, fears, trials in our own life. Picking up in verse um, 9 there. Then he brought him to Jerusalem. He set him on the pinnacle of the temple. <laughs> and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. The third tactic I would suggest to you that he uses is that he will attempt to pervert, distort, discount who God is and his truths. These were partial truths. This wasn't the, the actual scripture that he was, he was quoting scripture here, but it was quoted wrong and partially. And that's exactly what he tries to do to us. He tries to come in and discount pervert, distort God and his truths. And here's why it's so key that we realize this in our life, because the truths of the Lord, the scripture, it's the anchor of our souls. It's the anchor of our souls. Our our mind, our will, our emotions, it's all wrapped up. It's the anchor of who we are. This Bible right here, the words that are in it and now inside of us, it is the foundation of who we are, that everything that we are has been raised up upon. It is our anchor and our foundation, the Bible says, isn't to be set on sand. It is to be set on a rock. And when it's set on the rock, then this temptation of the devil will not overcome you. Amen? It will not overcome you. He will always come to you when you're weak and where you're weak. He will make you question your identity of who you are in the Lord. He will attempt to pervert, distort, and discount who God is and his truth. And let me look at verse 13 with me. 
This is an often overlooked verse. It says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, when he had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Until an opportune time. Until the best time. Until the right time. Until a time where he can almost know that he will achieve victory against you. An opportune time he's looking for. Guys, we have to know that we have to be on guard at every single moment. We can't afford to be like Kenny and I in the wilderness. We can't be lazy. We can't be sleepy. We can't uh, overlook wisdom and, um, and principles that come into our life. Guys, we have to be on guard or you will be overtaken by what the word calls is an worthy adversary. We've got to be on guard, guys. Look at those four times of the day with the enemy of text. Look at those tactics that he uses. Go back and look at these things. Research them. Apply them into your life. Grow in this and let the anchor of your soul go down further into this word. We've got to be on guard at every moment. The second thing is this. We have to persevere in all situations. We have to persevere in all situations. Now, I I know culturally and just in our life right now, when we think of persevering, it's easy to think about, well, hey, I'm going to go for a three-mile run, and you get out on the run, and you're in the second mile, and you're like, oh, man, I got side cramps. I'm thirsty. But you're like, no, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to finish this. I'm going to finish this three miles. You're like, okay, I persevered. I did it. And that's true. That is part of persevering. Or it could be you moms, and it's like the kids wake up in the morning, and they've trashed the room, and they're not eating their food, and they're being an absolute nuisance and you're just dead tired and you look down at your watch and it's like 943. <laughs> you're like, God, perseverance, very valid, right? Or you dads, which isn't near as bad, you can have all kinds of trouble at work and you know you could be dealing with, a, with an angry, disgruntled boss or, or with clients that are giving you all kinds of headaches or you could be having computer issues. I don't know what it is with you and you look down and it's still an hour and a half to go before your launch and you're like, God, Give me perseverance for this day, right? Those are kind of the ways that we tend to to culturally and daily think about persevering. What I want to do for us in this point, though, is I want to go a little bit deeper in the origins of this word. And I've put them up here. If you'll go to the next slide. Um, uh, We want to look into the Greek word for persevere, which you can see there. Oh, man, it doesn't look right. Well, it is right. It's just overlaid weird. Um, anyway, I'm not going to pronounce, uh, try to pronounce it because I can't do it. I've tried several times. I listened to it several times. It just doesn't come out of my southern hick draw very well. <laughs> so that's the word for it, but it's derived from a different word, which you can see below there. Uh, take notes on that if you want. But what I want to bring attention to specifically is when you look at the origins of this word of persevering in the Greek, there's really six different meanings that have incredible symmetry, uh, togetherness um, in their meanings. And, and I think they point to, to um, different things that can really encourage us in our life of persevering before the Lord. So the first one, the meaning that I want to talk to you about is this. It means to adhere to one, to be his adherent, to be devoted or constant to one. Now we're talking about the origins, what this word exactly means here, what it's referring to in perseverance. To adhere to one, to be his adherent, to be devoted or constant to one. And I can't think about um, anything else. It just pointed me right to um, our persevering in the Lord. 
in our, in our devotion and being constant to him, the one. Not any other gods, not any other lords, not any other idols, but being voted to him as the one. And not just to him as the one, but also um, uh, it made me think of, when it says to adhere to one, to be as adherent, to be devoted or constant one, it made, us think, made me think about um, our spouses, for those of us who are married. Being devoted to one, persevering in your walk with the Lord, persevering in your relationship with your spouse, okay? The second one I want to bring up to you is to be steadfastly attentive unto, to give unremitting care to a thing. To give unremitting care to a thing. And obviously, to me, this pointed directly to, uh, to children. To give unremitting care to, to persevering as we raise our children. To be steadfastly attentive unto Man, if there's anything that takes a steadfast attentiveness, it's children, right? My goodness, to give unremitting care to a thing. The next one is, it's so interesting, to continue all the time in a place. To continue all the time in a place. And this just directed me and, and uh, made me think about being faithful to the work, to the job that the Lord has provided for you, to being faithful uh, to the neighborhood or the community that the Lord has put you in, to being faithful to the church body that the Lord has directed you to or has put you in, to continue all the time in a place, to persevere in those arenas of our life. The fourth one is this, to persevere and not to faint. And I think this is more typically what we think of in our lives and culturally, to persevere and not to faint. And I I, uh, immediately think about just our daily battles, that we would persevere and not faint in our daily battles. The fifth one is to show oneself courageous for to show oneself courageous for. Now think about the, the courage that it, we must have, that we must utilize, we must harness in the middle of trials, uh, in the middle of struggle, in the middle of wilderness, in the middle of difficult relationship situations, um, that we must be courageous. We must have courage as we, as we persevere. And then the last one is this, to be in constant readiness for one. So interesting. To be in constant readiness for one, to wait on constantly. And obviously we, we can see how um, this points to our persevering and our readying ourselves for the return of the Lord. Our persevering and our readying ourselves for the return of the Lord. When I saw these, the origins of this word to persevere, these meanings, I was just blown away uh, by the meanings and, and the deeper details of what it is. And, and guys, you know, persevering, it's not just hanging in there. I know we hear that a lot. It's not just showing up. It's not just remaining faithful. It is those things. It is those things. But what I want us to look at is how Webster's defines persevering. I don't think I have it up there, but this is, this is how it's d- defined for, in Webster's. A steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. A steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. We don't just persevere to stay alive. We don't just persevere to stay alive. 
we persevere to thrive in our life, to achieve success. And what this means in our walk with, our, with the Lord, in our spiritual walk, is that we must obey God and be faithful to him and make hard decisions even when it hurts. We must obey God and make hard decisions even when it hurts. It's not just about staying alive, God. It's not just about persevering to stay alive. It's about persevering to achieve success. It's not just about remaining faithful with your spouse. It's about remaining faithful with your spouse and thriving in that marriage. Amen? It's not just about remaining faithful to the Lord and committed to Him. It's about having a thriving relationship with the Lord. It's not just about showing up to church, guys. It's about interacting. It's about giving your best to the people around you, giving your best to the Lord every time you're here, every time you're out in community with people. It's not enough just to stay alive. The Lord has thriving for us. He wants us to thrive. We must persevere in all situations. And the third thing is this. We must pray at all times. Last week I talked about prayer more in depth, and you can go back and listen to that. But what I want to talk about tonight with prayer is um, some translations use different words here. For prayer, but I want to look at the words petition and supplication, which are which are pretty interchangeable. Um, when you look at the origins of those words in the Greek, and specifically supplication, it means to beg, to beg, as binding oneself, petitioning, to beg, to bind oneself to the Lord. When I saw that definition, I, I immediately just started to analyze my own life, to take inventory, and I just thought, man, God, what are, what are the areas of my life that I supplicate to you before you? Do I even do that? Do I pray with that kind of zeal and thirst and passion to the Lord? And, you know, I just looking, you know, myself over, is that something that I do? And, and, and what I came up with is, I think there's, 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 in my own life, there's five areas that the Lord has impressed upon my heart over the years that I need to be in daily supplication over. And I just wanted to share those with you tonight. I'm not saying that they have to be yours, uh, but I just want to be transparent and, and give you some of mine. And uh, maybe you'll um, uh, take up some of these as well. So these are the five areas of Marvin's life where, man, I'm supplicating before the Lord, where I am binding myself to the Lord in a daily way. The first one is for Israel and for Jewish people. For Israel and for Jewish people, Psalms 122, 6 through 8 points to to us praying for Israel, praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And uh, uh, it goes on further in Romans 9 uh, through 11 and praying for the salvation of Jewish people. I have a big burden for this. This church has a big burden for this. And it's something that daily I bring before the Lord is um, the nation of Israel, Jewish people, and um, I make supplication for them. I really do. I petition the Lord um, on their behalf. The second thing that I pray for daily is the harvest. 
the harvesters. Uh, Matthew 9, 37 through 38 says uh, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more workers into the field, okay? And so that's something that I do each and every day is I, I pray uh, that the Lord would sing, send more and more workers to the field. Guys, it's got to be a part of our prayers. What that's, what that's saying is the Lord not wish that anyone would perish, but that all would come to know him. And the way many come to know him is through the supplication, through the intense prayer of the saints. There would be a releasing, a calling, equipping, a sending of more and more people to go out to the highways and byways, to the marketplace, uh, to the nations of the world, to make Jesus famous, to advance his kingdom. Amen? It's something I, I, I'm putting before the Lord every day. The third thing I pray for is the orphan, the widow, the marginalized. James one twenty seven talks about this, that uh, the purest form of religion is taking care of the orphan and widow. Now, taking care isn't, maybe, isn't just uh, going and hand in hand taking care of them. It also means in praying for them, making supplication for them. And it's not just orphan and widow there. This is marginalized. This is the abused, neglected, hopeless. These are people who are, uh, who are being trafficked. These are people who uh, are possibly in foster care or in shelter situations. These are people who are contemplating um, having abortions. These are people, uh, these are parents who have uh, uh, terminally ill kids and they don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, This is all of that demographic. Okay, it's all of that demographic. And that's what I do every day is I make supplication for that demographic of people. My fourth thing is, is my wife and kids. You think, well, yeah, that's, a, that's an obvious one. You know, you pray for your wife and kids, and, and it's true, it is an obvious one. But I'm going to tell you guys, I don't just pray generally, just sweeping prayers for my wife and kids. That's not the way I pray for them. I pray that my wife would be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. I pray that she would yearn for the Word of God. I pray that she would find great contentment in the Lord. I pray that she would find fulfillment in who he is and what he's put her hands to. That her dreams and desires would come true in her life. I pray for my kids that they would have the heart, the mind, the attitude, the character of Christ. I claim them for, for his kingdom. I pray that his purposes and plans would prevail in their life. That I would be a better father to them. It's not just sweeping prayers. It's prayers with intentionality. It's prayers where I'm binding myself to the Lord, desperate for him. Fifth thing that I pray for daily is I pray for Modern Day, the organization that I'm the director of. It's a missions sending agency. I pray for all the missionaries that are a part of the organization. Um, And I pray for you guys. Pray for Soma. Pray for the strengthening of marriages at Soma. Pray for the unification of families at Soma. Pray that people, that you guys in your, in your spiritual walk would be encouraged and strengthened. You would go further and deeper and harder in your relationship with the Lord. As a staff, we pray for you guys. The truth of, your, of God's word would bring revelation to you. You would experience more and more victory, more and more hope, more and more faith, more and more life. In every facet of your life, we pray for your jobs. We pray for your finances. We do it as a staff. I do it personally. We cover you guys in prayer. I hope that you know that. Not just to stay alive, but to thrive. To thrive in your life. 
to thrive in your job, to thrive in your marriage, to thrive as you raise your kids, that your kids would thrive where they are. It's not sweeping prayers. This is prayer with supplication, with intentionality, of binding yourself to the God and saying, God, this has to happen. Will you let this happen? Will you release your power and authority in these areas? Will you release your supernatural ability? Will you release your miracles in these areas, God? These aren't passing prayers. Those are good too. (laughs) These are intentional prayers. I'm expecting something on the other end. I'm expecting thriving. I'm I'm expecting success. I'm expecting miracles. I'm expecting the advancement of the kingdom of God in all of our lives. Amen? We've got to be on guard at every moment. Persevere in all situations and pray at all times. If you would, stand with me. Guys, this is a message where there's a lot of notes. I hope you took notes. If you didn't, go back and listen to the podcast. This, is, this message is all about application. It's all about, all about not staying asleep in the tent, not being lazy, not being sleepy, not being lethargic. It's all about being on your toes. It's all about putting these principles into place, taking this revelation and running with it. I wanted to end by reading this poem by Griffin Hugh Jones. If you would, close your eyes. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, and hear, for I am poor and great my need. Preserve my soul, for thee I fear, O God, thy trusting servant heed. O Lord, be merciful to me, for all the day to thee I cry. Rejoice thy servant, for to thee I lift my soul, O Lord most high. For For thou, O Lord, art good and kind, and ready to forgive thou art. Abundant mercy they shall find who call on thee with all their heart. O Lord, incline thine ear to me. My voice of supplication heed. In trouble I will cry to thee, for thou wilt answer when I plead. There is not God but thee alone, nor, nor works like thine, O Lord most high. All nations shall surround thy throne and their creator glorify. In all thy deeds how great thou art. Thou one true God, thy way make clear. Teach me with undivided heart to trust thy truth, thy name to fear.